Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, if you can, go ahead and make your way back to your seats, and we will get started momentarily. Man, this room really kind of changes the dynamic of what it feels like, doesn't it? We're normally in the gym. We got a couple of gymnasiums and they're resurfacing the floor and we thought they would be ready uh, this week, but they're not. So we're in here again and that's okay. We're fine. The next week, hopefully we'll be back in, in the gymnasiums, but there's just a buzz when you guys start talking that I really do enjoy though. So happy Mother's Day. I know that's already been said. Um, happy Mother's Day to um, all of the moms that are here. I think Sam may have said this or maybe he didn't, but we have a, a gift certificate for all of the moms for the coffee company, so you can pick that up or someone will give that to you on your way um, out today. Got some friends that are here for the first time, so it's good to see them and that makes me happy. Um, so yeah, we're ready to jump in. So if you will, let's, um, let's get our Bibles. And in a moment, we're gonna jump back into First uh, Peter and see what the Lord has for us. So before we do that, let's pray one more time. Okay, let's just pray that God would would still our hearts and our minds and that we would be open to hear what he has for us today. So the goal kind of stepping into this before I pray is for us to decrease and for Christ to increase. So we want to elevate the word of God and we want the spirit of God to illuminate the things that he has for us today and just everything else and everyone else just kind of get out of the way. So I pray that he'll do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for the, the community that's here. Lord, I thank you for our moms. Lord, there's so much to be thankful for. I thank you that we have a facility that gives us many options and we can come together on a Sunday morning without fear and we can open up your word and we can dig in together. Lord, remind us of the things that we need to be reminded of. Show us things that maybe that we haven't seen. And Lord, I pray that uh, Jesus, that you would increase your gospel would look bigger for us than it even did when we came in. And I say this every week, Lord, but I speak a lot of words. May my words that are of me uh, fall to the ground, but only what is of you and of your spirit. May that alone be remembered and sink in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'll do a, a, a quick intro, but if you will, just go ahead and get your Bibles ready. We're going to be in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3. We're actually finishing up uh, chapter 3 today. But if you look back at last week, if you remember our passage in last week, and I gave you this keystone, like, hey, here's the, the one passage that kind of holds everything else together. And it was this understanding, and you can see it right here in the purple, and it was that Christ is honored as Lord and holy in our hearts. And if Christ is honored as Lord and holy in our hearts, all of this kind of flows together from that. What it does is it drives out fear. We don't have to fear punishment. We don't have to fear a death. We don't have to fear any of those things anymore. And because we no longer fear, we actually should have church. We should have boldness and be willing to speak and to defend the gospel. All of that flows from because Christ is Lord in my heart. He's driving away fear, so I should be able to open up my mouth and speak gospel truths to people. And how do we do that? The scripture was real clear with gentleness, with respect. Um, we, we won't go through the, the same passages, but there's a way that you can say the right things, but say it in the wrong spirit. And it will not have the effect that you want it to have. But when there's patience, when there's kindness, when you see yourself 
as broken the way that they are. When you look at their life and you say, oh yeah, that could be me. That could so easily be me. I could be the one strung out on drugs. I could be the one that's looking for all these other things to satisfy. And when you can see yourself the way Paul did when he said, I'm the chief of all sinners, it changes the way you connect with people. You don't feel better than them. You don't feel like that you're hoarding it, hoarding it over them or speaking down to them. You recognize they're just like me. We're broken people. And because of that, the words and the demeanor is with gentleness and respect. And even when that's not received well, sometimes it will be. Sometimes people are going to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and they're going to just be broken before the Lord. And that's going to be beautiful. Other times they're going to say, you're crazy. And they're going to come after you and they're going to persecute you and you're going to, they're going to hurt you. And it's all throughout scripture, right? And because Christ is honored as Lord and holy in my heart, I can endure that persecution. So all of that fits together. So there was more that was said than that, but there's kind of a, a brief overview of where we are and where we were last week. And now we're stepping into verse number 18. So first, Peter 3, I'll put it up here. If you're back in the back, no way you can see all these words. So it's in your worship guide. You get your Bibles, you get your phones, but this is the word. So this is what we're going to walk through. Okay. It's an interesting passage. You heard me allude to that last week. So first Peter 3, 18 through 22, let's hear the word of God together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Okay, not everybody was here last week, so I'm going to say a couple things again. Last week, we briefly talked about what expository preaching is. Okay, expository preaching is when you're taking the Word of God and you're looking at it verse by verse. You're starting at 1 Peter chapter 1 and you're going all the way to the end. Okay, topical preaching is when we'll, we'll just take a topic, you know, and we're going to kind of jump in and see what all that the Word of God has to say about that topic. I will say this, there are seasons and there are reasons that you, you probably need to jump in and have a topical study. So we're not like anti-topical you know, study people. However, we really love and believe in expository preaching. And if you've been here every Sunday, you've heard me say that the word says chapter two and chapter three, chapter four, that wasn't from Paul. That wasn't from Peter. That was from us. This was one message that was presented to the church. Okay. And when you're doing expository preaching, you keep on going back. So remember what was said in chapter one, remember what was said in chapter two. And there's these themes that are there that keep on coming, coming back before us. And it makes the whole book make sense. Okay. It should keep, um, you know, the, the teacher from taking these passages completely out of context because the people that are paying attention are like, that's not what that's saying. You know, we've been going through this, you know, chapter by chapter. The, the context is different than what you presented. So it should keep that from happening, but it also should solidify what these truths are and what the meanings are and what these key passages are in a particular passage. So those are, that's the glory of expository preaching. Here's the negative, okay? Sometimes it's hard because sometimes you're going to jump into a passage and you're going to say, what in the world is that talking about? 
why am I bringing this up today? Because this is a tough passage. This is one of these. And we have no ability to escape it. With everything I had within me, I wanted to say, Sam, you're up next week. You're preaching. But I did not do that to him. But when I got into it, it actually came alive. And I see it. And I want to give to you what I think that the Lord has shown to me. Okay? So why do people consider this a difficult passage? Go look at verse 19 and 20 again. Just look at it. It says, in which he, talking about Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely, safely through water. So this passage raises a few questions. When did Christ preach to the spirits in prison? Was it long before the incarnation? Was it in the days of Noah? Was it after his death, but maybe before his resurrection? Or was it after his erection, before he appeared to the disciples, or maybe somehow as a part of his ascension? And who are these spirits that he preached to anyway? And what was meant by prison? And where was that prison? Do you see the struggle that's here? Those are really good questions. They're legitimate questions, and they're all right here in this passage. Okay? So I want you to see this. This is what Peter wrote this book. Okay? But he's talking about Paul. Look at what he says about Paul. Peter says about Paul, just as our uh, bro uh, beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. And then he says this, you've got to see this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. This is Peter talking about Paul. I mean, you talk about the pot calling the kettle black. You know, it's like, Peter, this isn't a cakewalk either. This is a difficult passage. This is hard for people like me to understand as well. This is no stroll in the park. There was this, well, you'll know the person, the famous priest, theologian, hymn writer, author, and catalyst for the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther himself. This is what he says about this passage. A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. I cannot understand, and I cannot explain it, and there has been no one who has ever explained it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. Because I can always appeal back to Luther, be like, hey, he didn't know either, you know, so... Don't put too much pressure on me. One commentator identified around 180 different exegetical combinations as to what might have occurred here and what Peter may be speaking of. But here's the thing. None of us know for certain. We can just be honest. None of us know for certain. And that's okay because the particular details and the weeds of this passage, it's not the main point. And that's what I'm going to give to you today. Those are those details and they're great to discuss and maybe try to figure out and one of these days we'll know. But man, there's something more glorious than what happened and who these prisoners were and the spirit and, and all of that. Okay, So last week we talked about, and I said it a moment ago, this keystone passage. Sometimes um, you know, Thomas Chalmers, he would you know, you know, take his people that he was discipling and say, there's one key verse in every book of the Bible. Go find that and you'll see how that connects everything together. My friend, Dr. George Grant in Nashville, he does the same thing with his people. But he says, as you're reading through this passage, whether it's a chapter or just a section, what's the key thing that holds it together? So we're going to mine today and see if we can't also find what the key stone passage is that's going to hold this together. Okay. So to help us walk through this passage, 
Today, I think I'm going to use bookends. If you've been here from the beginning, I used to use bookends a lot, but I haven't used them in about a year. Okay, it's been about a while. So today, we're going to have two bookends, and they're going to hold the passage together. And we're going to go back first in verse number 18 and see what I think is one of the most glorious gospel passages in all of Scripture. So let's start there. Look at verse number 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Okay, if you've been walking with us through this study, I feel like a broken record, and that's the glory of expository preaching, because we keep on going back and saying, okay, what are the themes that are in First Peter? Let's look at those again. I'll throw a few of them up here for you. Sorry, that's kind of crunched together. You can't see it real well. But the first one, Jesus is holy, and we are declared holy through belief in the gospel. Be holy as I am holy. We are to live holy lives. Okay, so there's this, there's this, this, this message of holiness that runs throughout First Peter. Jesus left his home and was and lived as an exile and was rejected on this earth. Okay, And then over and over and over, we see Peter calling us to... The fact that this is no longer your home. Because of what Jesus has done, earth is no longer your home. You are now sojourners and you are exiles. And then there's this word honor that's used over and over and over. Jesus showed honor to the Father, was obedient unto death. And we are now, and we see it in the applications, especially in chapter 2, that we are to show honor to God by showing honor within the various relationships that exist on this earth. Those are previous messages, but then this one. Jesus suffered. That's where we're going today. And we too will suffer. If you're miss, missing the suffering part of 1 Peter, you're missing so much of what Peter's trying to give to us. In the next three weeks, we're going to see the suffering that comes to us. But it begins with what Jesus had done. So those are the major themes so far. But today begins with the sufferings of Christ by reminding us that Jesus suffered for us. The word suffer or suffering, it's used 15 times in this short book. So it's a theme that we need to pay attention to. Okay, so um, the remainder of 1 Peter is going to walk us through different ways that we will suffer as we are following Jesus Christ, and we'll look to him as our example. But we need to first see that he suffered. So go back to our passage. Verse number 18, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Right here in this one verse lies the heart of the gospel itself. Do you see it? The good news is right here. The fact that Christ came to this earth, that he gave himself as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice in order so that he, could, he would suffer in order to pay for our sins. And do you see it? And it's once and for all. One time, one sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice was enough and it was sufficient to cover all of our sins. Now I could easily get off on a little rabbit trail here. But this is why we keep on talking about applying the gospel. You can't pay for your sins. Jesus doesn't say, I want to pay for these, but the rest of them you're on your own. So you better be perfect and holy and righteous. You better have it all together. No, either Jesus once and for all paid for our sins or it's on our shoulders. 
it's gospel for a reason. It's really, really good news for once and for all. But then in doing so, he also, do you see it? He restored our relationship with the creator. Look at this. It says that he might bring us that we're reconciled back to God. When there was sin, there was separation. The word says that we were actually at enmity with God. And because of Christ, and I've said this over and over and over, yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we don't have to fear death. Yes, we have an eternal home. But the glory of the gospel is wrapped up in this foundational truth that we can have relationship with the one who created us and knit us together in our parents' wombs. This is beautiful. It's relational. And so often the church misses this. I heard a great passage from uh, John Piper this week, and he was actually on this particular passage. A pastor friend just said, hey, out of the blue, you might want to listen to this. He didn't even know I was preaching on this this week. And it was this verse. And Piper was going hard saying, he's brought us back to our creator. If we miss everything else, we have to hold on to that. Um, we were having coffee the other day with one of uh, the girls in the church, Lindsay Mitchell. I told her she made the sermon. And we were sitting there, and we were having you know, coffee with her, and we were just kind of hearing more about her. And she began talking about just sitting in the car and meditating on, you know, on the things of God and just realizing, oh, he actually knows me. He actually loves me. And this relationship that I have with him, you know, it's just beautiful and it's intimate. And I was like, yeah, that's it. You're, you're seeing what this passage is saying, that because of the gospel... You've been brought back to God and you can actually have a relationship with him. Reconciled, adopted, his children. We can know God. Don't miss that. It's everything. Even if we just stop there and don't even look at the rest of this passage. And maybe we should do that. No, I'm just kidding. But it's the very foundation of Christianity itself. Jesus suffered once for all that he might bring us to God. Christ's sufferings and salvation, they're like two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. He had to suffer, but in doing so, he's reconciled us to himself. Okay, so here's this topic over and over and over, and it is suffering. So suffering is going to be, if those are books, there's your first book in. I think that we put this one in the worship guides, or if you're filling out the worship guide, your first book in is going to be the fact that Christ suffered. He came to those that were his own, the people that he created. He was rejected. He did no wrong. He lived a sinless life. But because he wreaked havoc on the religious institution, he continued to expose their hypocrisy. So the religious leaders, they jailed him. He was beaten. He was mocked. And he was eventually crucified. But we knew that this had to happen. It was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus says that actually this suffering, this pain, and he would go to his disciples and say, I'm going to die. He said that over and over and over. He says, this is why he came. So suffering and death, they were not outside of God's providential plan by, by, of paying for our sins. It was the plan. The suffering and the death, it was the plan. Let me read this one passage of Isaiah 53 to you. I'll throw it up here for you as well. Look at the red. Look at the suffering that's here. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, 
yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Do you see the suffering that's here? For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds, or with his wounds, we are healed. All we, Redstone Church Elizabeth, and we're in those two words, all we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned, every single one of us, to his own way, and the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Despised, rejected, chastisement, wounds, oppressed. These are the sufferings of Christ. And yes, Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy. And we see here in this First Peter passage, as we see all throughout Scripture, our iniquities were placed upon him. It was for us that he suffered. And it was through his suffering and ultimately through his death, his sacrifice, his atonement, his propitiation, that we could be forgiven. That he would bear our griefs and that he would bear our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities. Peace with God. He brings peace with God, which is what our passage in verse 18 is saying. He opens up the door that we can know the Father. And his suffering ended up leading to his death. But just like we saw on Easter morning, he did not remain in the tomb. He is no longer dead. He is risen indeed. And it's at that point that the passage gets a little interesting. Because the passage begins to allude to some things that transpired, transpired possibly right after Christ was crucified and died. But it doesn't seem you know, crystal clear as to exactly what happened. There, that's why there are so many various interpretations that are given. But let's go back and let's look at that again. 18b through 20. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit and which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Okay, remember those questions I asked at the beginning? Here they are again. Okay, when did Christ preach to the spirits in prison? Was it long before the incarnation? Was it actually in the time of Noah? Was it after his death, but before his resurrection? Was it after his resurrection, before or after he appeared to his disciples, or maybe as a part of his ascension? And who were these spirits that he preached to? And what was this prison? And where was this prison? There's a lot of questions here. Okay, so let's briefly, and I do mean briefly, look at the three most widely held interpretations as to what's happening here. So lots of commentaries you can go to. They all kind of you know, say the same things, but these are the three. The three that I'm giving you um, mainly comes from the Bible Speaks Today commentary series, and this is one that John Stott is editor-in-chief. So let me walk you through these. So the first in interpretation is that when Jesus did die, he ascended into hell, and he preached to the spirits of those who perished in the flood at the time of Noah. 
and probably to others as well. So some commentators would say that Jesus preached the gospel and gave these people a chance to repent. Others say, well, the word that's used for preaching here is really more of a proclamation. So it's not a gospel invitation, but it's a proclamation. Death did not hold me down. I am very much alive. Okay, so that's the proclamation. So there's more that could be said there. It's a longer interpretation than that, but that's, that's the Cliff Notes version. Okay, second interpretation, which was uh, preached by St. Augustine, which some people call Augustine, incorrectly, um, is that Christ's preaching was done in the Spirit through Noah. This would concur with Christ's preaching through the Old Testament prophets. If you'll remember in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it said, It was revealed to them, talking about the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you and these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these things in which angels long to look. I know that was a long time ago, but we talked about how, how the prophets were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to proclaim this gospel truth. And they didn't understand the details that we understand. It didn't come to full fruition, but now all of that, 1 Peter 1, it's been revealed to us. And the angels are looking down and they're seeing, ah, this is the fulfillment. The prophets are saying, so this is the end of the things that we proclaimed in, you know, in part that is now full. Okay, so the second interpretation, you know, says that that's what's happened here. You know, so it was the prophets that were actually preaching at the times of Noah that now has come to full effect. Okay, now the third interpretation would say that the imprisoned spirits here refers to the fallen angels rather than human beings. And these aren't in any particular order, one, two, three. This one's as widely held as the first one. Okay, so it refers to the fallen angels rather than human beings. Jesus is proclaiming to them his victory and their doom. It's believed that this took place after Christ rose spiritually, because that's what the passage says, before his bodily resurrection. Okay, look at it again. It says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So you can see, you can track with that and see this third interpretation, the spirits in prison, they could be the fallen angels that are spoken of that we'll see later. We can't get away from this because we're going to jump into 2 Peter and the fall. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... And then Jude, Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this interpretation is saying that Jesus is preaching or he's proclaiming his victory to the fallen angels. There was and is a Jewish writing that's still there and the Jews would read it. It's called the Book of Enoch. And in the book of Enoch, it speaks in great detail about these things. In fact, most people don't realize this, but the book of Enoch is actually quoted in Jude 14 and 15. So it was widely held by the Jews at the time. So there, there's a lot more on this one. So I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. But in essence, that's what the third interpretation is saying. And it's tracing this preaching or this proclaiming and this prison back to the fallen angels. Okay, so Drew Gray, Drew, I got to do it, man. Drew's back in the back, got your hand up. So Drew, he wrote me this email and he was like, ah, oh, this passage is coming up. And he says, I love this. He says, this is my favorite passage in all of the scripture. 
And I'm like, dude, why don't you preach it then? Right? So if you want to know more details on this, I'm telling you, man, he has broken it down and he takes this third t- interpretation and he gives you some things that I had never seen before. So that's good. But the truth of the matter is that that's not the point for today. I don't know that that necessarily matters um, because the, you know, the truth is we don't really know. There are some things that Jesus doesn't declare to us um, with precision. We don't know. Eschatolo- you know, eschatological you know, views of the ends of times. People have different interpretations because it's not real clear you know, some of these things you know, are not. And in this case, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to the passage at all, but I don't think that it matters because I don't think that it impacts Peter's overall message that he's trying to give to the church. So let's go back and look at that again. 18 through 22, I always put the red because that's where I'm going to focus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. They did not formally obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, who were brought safely through water. And then it talks about baptism. Okay, so there was something that happened there. And the Peter, you know, part of the, the point that Peter is making is that Christ is very much alive. And death could not hold him down. He had an agenda that included people and angels that he was going to proclaim his victory to. And he did so in ways that while we are sojourners and exiles on this earth, we probably won't fully understand. So if we were to take, this is a complete cop out on my part, but if we were to take those middle books that are of our bookends, it might look something like this. Okay, Christ was crucified and he, he proclaimed himself. He proclaimed himself victorious to someone in some way at various times in ways that we don't understand. He did an amazing work, but he was trying to make sure that everyone understood that the grave did not keep him down. Okay, let's continue. It says in verse number 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, and this, this, if you'll go back and look at the previous passage, it's meaning Noah and the ark. So this baptism, which corresponds to Noah and the ark, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So the point of baptism is that we're no longer our own. Our old self died and we now belong to him. Okay, remember on Easter, we looked at this particular passage. Here's two of them. There's Romans 6, 3, it says, or 3 and 4. It says, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, there, so there's a death. There's a identifying with the death of Christ that takes place there. Or as Galatians 3.27 says, very similar, for as many of you who as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We die with Christ and then we rise with Christ. So Peter is using this illustration of Noah and the ark with baptism because the ark was a form of salvation. 
This was a type of salvation, saving the people from death, which in this case was represented by water. And P- Peter's saying, it's not the water that saves. Water removes dirt from the outward skin. But it's about what happens on the inside when we make this gospel proclamation and when we show it by being faithful through obedience, by being baptized. When we are truly saved and baptized, the word that's used in this this previous passage, it's not up there. It says our consciences, you see it in verse number 21, they're now good. We have a clear conscience. We're now at peace with God. We are at rest. He has set us free. We no longer have to fear. Romans 5.1, a glorious passage we should all commit to memory, says, Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died. He paid the penalty for our sins. And in doing so, we now have peace with Him. And when we were baptized, we, we, we identify ourselves by going into that death and we come back and we say, I'm no longer my own. And this is no longer my home. And that was my purpose before, but this is my purpose now. And Peter's slowly walking through this transformation that should take place with all of us. We have a clear conscience. We are declared forgiven. At peace forever with our Creator. So just as God saved people to be His in the day of Noah, and how water was symbolic there, likewise God saves a remnant of people for himself now. And water is once again front and center, showing that we were buried into Christ Jesus' death and that we are now raised to walk, and the passage says, in newness of life at the end of Romans 6. Newness of life. Life. Yes. Because Jesus is alive, because the grave could not hold him down, His proclamation is now that he reigns, he reigns victorious over sin, Satan. And remember the last enemy was death. Where, O death, is your victory? It's it's over. Christ has conquered sin, Satan, and death itself. And that's where Peter is taking us in verse 22. One more time, let's go look in verse 22 again. It says, Jesus Christ, look at this, watch this. He's now gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. We saw in 2.13 that we are to be subject to every human institution. So here's one of these themes. We saw in 2.18 that there's a subjection between servants and masters. We see it again, and we talked about it again at length in chapter 3, between husbands and wives. And now we see Christ who, at the beginning of our passage, in bookend number 1, He suffered for sins... This suffering Christ who comes back to life is now in some ways that we don't fully understand. He's proclaiming himself to various peoples and angel groups and is now, and hear me on this church, he's victorious. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father and everything in all of creation is now, and here's that theme, is now subject to Him. He is Lord over all, subject to Him. No longer suffering, seated at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. He, hear me church, I can shout, I'm so excited about this. He is victorious. He's victorious. That is bookend number two. Christ suffered. He proclaimed himself to be victorious. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He declares it is finished. And sin and Satan and death no longer have hold on him. Christ is victorious. He goes from suffering to victory. That's the keystone passage that I see here. That's what Peter's wanting us to see. This victorious Jesus seated on the throne where all things and all people are subject to him. But before he did that, he suffered. And for the next several weeks, we're going to see that as we follow in his footsteps, we will suffer as well. But, and hear me on this church, just as Christ was ultimately victorious, guess what? We will be victorious as well. Not because we've got it all together or we're so strong or anything else, but because of him, because of what he has done we will be victorious as well. True life always comes from death. We died to self and gave ourselves over to Christ and he raised us to new life. And he, Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and die to ourselves daily so that the resurrection, re, resurrected Christ, the living Christ, the spirit of the, of the living Christ, who he sends back, sends back into the world, can live and reign through us. Victory always comes through suffering, and Jesus Christ modeled that for us as the supreme example from suffering to victory. So as we, as we begin to close, I've got a couple of questions. These are in your worship guide, I think. The first one is a call to salvation. And the question is, do you believe, if you're filling in the blanks, do you believe that he suffered and died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God? If you're believing anything else for your salvation, then to be completely honest with you, then you're in trouble. If you think that you can save yourself or be righteous or good enough, then you're missing the glory of the gospel because it all rests upon what Christ has done. Do you believe that his sacrifice, his atonement, his death was so holy, so pure, and so perfect that it could cover all of the sins of humanity for those that would believe in him? That's the first question. Churches are filled every Sunday with people that come in and they, they know plenty of the details about the gospel and church and salvation. But if you haven't appropriated that in your own heart, if you have not confessed Jesus to be your Lord that's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, 
and victorious over your sins, then you're still in your sins. You're at enmity with God. There is no peace with God. You're trying to, 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 to find happiness and health and peace and all of these other ways. It can only be found through Christ. So the first question is, do you believe that? If you don't, you've got to let somebody know. You can't go home today without talking to somebody. You've got to fill out a card and put it in the back box. You have to. Do you hear me? Today's the day of salvation. This is the gospel truth. This is the hope that we have. So the first question is, do you believe that? And the second one is, if you do believe that, have you been obedient? Have you partaken in his baptism? The established ordinance that he gives to show saving faith. That Christ suffered and died and rose victorious. And you are identifying with him through that baptism. Everyone who would believe. We're going to have another baptismal service. We did one on Easter. We're going to do another one on the 22nd, I think it is. You know, and if you're like, I actually do believe the gospel, but I have never been baptized. You got to let me know. You got to let Sam know. You got to let a community group leader know. You got to send us a group meet or a, an email or a text. All of that contact information is on the back of your worship guide, or you can put it back in the box. But you got to come talk to me about that. Because we have to follow through and we have to identify through baptism. And then the third question is, do you see Christ as fully victorious? And as such, because he's victorious and everything in all of creation is subject to him, he's actually trustworthy in your life. Do you believe that he was fully victorious? And that there's nothing happening in this world that is taking him by surprise? And that all of politics, all of the craziness is somehow supernaturally under his sovereign control. And if he's able to give us oxygen, if he's able to enable us to breathe and to see and to hear and have the sun come out and the moon come out on a daily basis, he's able to take care of all of the needs in your life. Do you believe that? This passage in verse number 22, that's the keystone because the keystone is saying Jesus is victorious and his victory is not just over Satan and it's not just over sin and it's not just over death. It's over this uncertainty and the craziness and the question marks of your life. Is there a God who knows me, loves me and knows what I'm going through? The answer is yes. And we'll see it in a few weeks, but because he is victorious, we can cast all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for us, because we've been reconciled to him, because he is victorious. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 12, I love this passage. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the suffering, the brutal death by those that he came to save. The ones that killed him, he was able to endure that because he knew what the victory was going to look like and how sweet it was going to be. And now he proclaims that he is fully victorious, Lord, King, seated supreme in heaven until one more day that he says it is fully finished and he comes back for his bride. He suffered, but that brought life. If we're going to follow him, it's not popular, 
But this is why we go verse by verse. But we're going to see that there will be suffering for us as well. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some will embrace it. Some will try to kill you and me. There will be suffering. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see what that can and should look like. Sam will will be starting that series um, of suffering for us next week. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer. How are we on time? We're okay on time. I think I'll open up the mic and see if there's any kind of response from the body. But before we, we do that, let's just go to the Lord and be still before Him. Lord, I do pray that the people that are here today, that we were able to see this suffering Christ is now fully victorious and all of the implications that come with Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father with everything and everyone in all creation subjected to you. Help us to see that. Challenge us, change us, remind us, encourage us. Meet us where we're at individually. And may we walk out of here this morning different, empowered, encouraged, and knowing that we're at peace with you. Just help us to be still and you speak to us individually. Lord, have your way with us as we finish our time together this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm not even sure who, where the mic is. Sam, you got the mic? Okay. So if you're new, we do this a lot. We don't do it every Sunday, but we do it a lot. So a word of encouragement, you know, a word that just stuck out to you. Um, just a response. We oftentimes hear a sermon and then we just go and live our lives and we hear a different sermon the next week. What we're trying to do is we hear it, we talk about it, and then we take it into community groups and we continue to, to work through it. And then we'll come back to the next passage. But the first process in, you know, with that is just opening it up on a Sunday morning. So who wants to share? Who has a thought? Okay, we've got Leah Powell. We'll make you walk a little way, Sam. Well, I wanted to say that um, I've been coming here for uh, two and a half months, and I just really appreciate the expository preaching. I appreciate the fact that uh, we walk through and we don't overlook the hard things. Um, I go to the sermon prep on Mondays, and we were talking about this particular um, scripture. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, going in and preaching to those in prison. And we had a lot of different opinions. And, mm. and, um, and I even reached out to some other people that I knew. I had never heard the third one that you mentioned, though. And I, so I just really appreciate the fact that we can come together, we can get the meat of the word, and stay, keep the main thing the main thing, and still bring up the other things that are, you know, theological, that are debatable yeah. and, and still be in fellowship with one another. And that is just one thing I just really, really am appreciating with this church. So I thank you for, um, and everybody else that brings the word for not cowering down, 
you know, to the fear of what this may do, mm. you know, what this may bring out, who this may upset. Yeah. Because as we've talked about, you know, the word can be offensive. Right. And um, so I just really appreciate this church and I just thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Leah. Well, we're glad you're here. Okay. Who else wants to share? Oh, Kathy Kelly. I know it. <laughs> Um, my question is about verse 21, um, and I'll read it real quick just yep. to recap. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my question is about that uh, clause there, an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, can you speak into the doctrine of regeneration just for a moment? Um, and that's something I'm working through, just the timeline of like when the Lord makes you regenerate, that is, you know, wanting to do his will rather than your own sin driving you. That may be a coffee conversation, right? <laughs> right. Just yeah. briefly. Yeah, you know, but I, but I think that like just this, this understanding that once we have faith in Christ, positionally, and this is the kind of part that we have to go to, before we can live it out, we have to understand positionally what just took place and where we were at enmity, now we're reconciled, we're, we're redeemed, we were bought back, you know, we're, we're adopted, and because of that, this regeneration of our hearts begins to take place. Now, here's the thing. You and I, you're working, you're in Grand Bible College right now, you're working through 1 Corinthians. So we have these conversations. So here's a regenerate body of, of Corinth, right? Did they understand all of that? No, they were a mess, right? So this process of regeneration or sanctification as we talked about, it, go, it has us going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, you know, 3, and we go on and then we begin to understand the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is that he's done these things. And the point is, I can't do it. And Jesus says, exactly, you can do nothing apart from me. So we learn to abide in the vine, John 15, so that he can live through us. But I just think all of that's a process and that may not even be what you're fishing for here. But regeneration goes back to what is the gospel? What has Christ done? And what does that mean to me on a daily basis? It's that he wants to be the one that lives through us, this regenerate life. And that's a, that's a process. But there's more of that. We'll see each other at the coffee company, I guarantee you, this week. And we'll talk more. Yeah, good, Kathy. Who's next? Lindsay! She's my new friend. Oh, this is so weird. I've never done this before. Um, something that was just really sticking out to me is, um, I feel like the Lord has just really taught me a lot about suffering through the past few years. Like as I've just really like dove into my faith and asked him like, Lord, show me who you are. I did not know that that was going to mean, Ooh, life is going to really suck for you. <laughs> but, um, I think in that, like I began to just believe how good the Lord is in suffering and learned like true joy in him. And that, like, you cannot experience that to the full extent without experiencing the suffering. Because that is when we are closest to the Lord. Because we can realize that you are good no matter what happens to me. Yeah. But in that, I think I just needed to hear the victory of God. Because mm -hmm. that is something that I have always known. Suffering is something that I have experienced. But, like, it's so hard for me to look at Jesus and be like, okay, like, I can trust that you're going to love me and give me a reward. Like... And I can trust that you're victorious. Like, I don't just have to know that. I can experience that. And that I can trust that you're going to give that to me. I may not deserve it. But, like, that is something that is so hard for me to believe in the Lord. 
and so hard for me to like trust in him, but like just getting to hear that proclaimed today, getting to hear just how victorious he is and actually wrap my mind and my heart around that is just like, oh my gosh, God, like you are insane. Like I in a, cannot in a good believe way. we have you. He's like, that in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Insane in like a super good way <laughs> because like, yeah. holy crow, like we get to experience this with him and like, that's yeah. just insane. And like, so yeah, I want to encourage you guys too. It's like, no matter what you go through, like don't believe the lie that you can just look at the life, uh, look at life and be like, okay, all I can expect is hardship, but it's okay. It's okay. I got to just push through or whatever. It's like, no, like allow yourself to believe just how good Jesus is. And that is something that like the Lord has poured into me today. So I just felt like yeah. sharing that and Amen. saying that he spoke through you and that was super cool. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. So good. So true. Um, who else wants to share? And while you're doing that, I'm, I'm thinking about Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember the thorn that he has in the flesh. And he's like, Lord, please, three times, please take the thorn away. And the Lord's like, I don't think so. I think we're just going to leave that thorn right there because my grace is sufficient for you in, in, in your weaknesses. You know, you're, you're stronger when you're weak because you have to rely upon me. And that's just the truth. It's not always easy. I can't. I, I was telling somebody at the coffee company this week. I was like, I can't even imagine where I would be if it wasn't for pain in my life. I mean, just arrogance and pride, and just looking for other things to satisfy. I'm that guy, and because of brokenness and pain, you know, it just keeps me relying upon the Lord. That's all of us, right? And it's a beautiful thing. But He's still victorious. The pain doesn't mean He's not victorious. He's still victorious. Who else wants to share? My neighbor. This is Allison. Hey, neighbor. Um, but no, to your point as well, so uh, it's actually a passage my dad just pulled up, Ephesians, um, oh my gosh, the chapter, but it's verse 8. But it's for by grace, or you've been saved yeah. through, wait, the gift of grace. Yeah. Saved through faith. So it's the faith in the suffering. Yeah. So, um, you know, he tells us you have faith of a mustard seed. I have it on my ring right here every day. Yeah. So it's hard to have that faith when you're feeling knocked down every time you turn around, but yeah. that's a gift that he has given each of you. Yeah. And that's something that we will never be able to understand. But if we lean into that and trust him enough to know that he's going to make us through and the, the crown that we receive when we get mm. to heaven is just going to be just worth it. Um, but I think the, the key and something that I've learned is do we love Christ? Do we love him more than we love the things that this world can give us? Mm -hmm. And that's the, the choice that we make every single day. So, um, but yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, thank you, Allison. Yeah, that passage, that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's such a, such a beautiful passage. We're saved by grace through faith. You know, it's not our, our, ourselves. It's a gift from God. None of us can boast. Yeah, it's Jesus' grace, but it's also what I did. And you don't have that. I don't have that. It's either the atonement of Christ and what he has done or nothing, right? So all we can boast in is the cross. cross. And thank God for that. Imagine we had, if we had to truly work out our own salvation. We have anybody else who wants to share this morning? Oh. Yeah. So uh, going with Kathy and talking about that regeneration. You're not going to ask me another question, are you? Does Adam and Eve have a belly button? <laughs> No. Uh, 
John so, Schuster. Um, so talking about regeneration, we have talked about this program as well previously with uh, Pastor Jerry and Larry. It meets Monday night, 6.30, over at Grace Fellowship. It's called Regeneration. Yeah. And it, it's broken people. Hmm. I mean, obviously, we're all broken in this room. But it's a, it's a group of people that admit their brokenness to one another. And it's, they're just honest with themselves. And that brokenness says, Lord, I'm broken. I need more of you. It's a 12-step program that takes you through 12 steps. It's like AA, only with Christian values and et cetera. Uh, but it's a blessed program to help any individual with regenerating their broken heart. Yeah. Whether it's arrogance or pride or sexual temptations or addictions or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just the plug. Thought about regeneration. Yeah. I think we all need regenerated, myself included. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, I've gone several times and we've had this conversation. We've had Larry up here not long ago to talk about this. But it's within that program, I think you all, because we get a bunch of people that are going through it right now. What are you doing within a gospel community where you can be honest and real with other people? You're going back to the gospel over and over and over again until it begins to click, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't click, you know, and that's why we need each other. But that's where the regeneration comes from. Good word, John. Anyone else? I know we need to step into a time of worship. Andrew, it's good to have you. No, I think it's so cool to just listen to talking about this passage because I think it's so easy for me to get tripped over. I think you called them the weeds of mm -hmm. all the all the theology and stuff. Yeah. And those things are good. And like, it, it's so easy for me to try to intellectually understand all of that stuff. But my wisdom is folly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, it, it's awesome to look at these verses 21 and 22 talking about baptism uh, that saves you and what that means and being like that it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh mm -hmm. it's my my translation says the pledge of good conscience toward god yeah it's just so cool to see that that gospel it's like all of this all of this theology is like it's important otherwise it wouldn't be in there mm -hmm. but but the main point of this passage is that Jesus is seated in heaven by the Father. Amen. He reigns, and he's given us this opportunity to pledge loyalty to him and to be saved and brought back into a right relationship with him. And, and that's just so cool to be able to look past the weeds and yeah. look into, this is real. This is my relationship with Jesus and how he, he did this. He suffered. He honored the Father um, through suffering into victory so that I could do the same. Um, Amen. Amen. We come together on Sunday mornings for a lot of reasons. We come together because the Lord tells us to. We come together because we want to worship the Lord. You know, we do communion. We'll do communion next week, and it's a reminder of what the gospel is. But it's these moments of hearing the word of God and, and renewing our minds, Romans 12, to the truths of Scripture that challenge us and that change us and that give us the strength and the hope and the victory so that we can walk back out as exiles and sojourners in this world at peace with God with boldness on our lips, willing to endure suffering or what have you. 
and, and recognizing, oh, there's more than just shiny things in this world. We've got so much hope. So that's why this thing that we do like at the end is just so encouraging because all we're doing is encouraging one another. And Scripture says, do that every day as long as it's called today. We need to encourage one another with these gospel truths. So praise God for that. We're going to step into um, the time of worship. Band's already back here waiting. So if you will, um, not just because it's protocol and, oh, we have to sing at the end. No. Did you hear this? He suffered and he was victorious. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's stand and let's tell him he's amazing as we close out today.